Good morning. I'm going to be reading from James 2, 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not commit murder. If you, do not, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thanks, Colton. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for preserving your word for us. I thank you for the way that you reveal your character to us through your word, and I pray that you would do that this morning, Heavenly Father. Help us to know you better, to love you more deeply, Lord, and to respond out of worship and obedience because of who you are. Pray these things in your name. Amen. I'd like to release the children through grades four to the teachers that are waiting for them for Children's Church. If you're joining us for the first time, either online or here, welcome. My name is Larry Wassell. I'm one of the elders here at Calvary, and I have the opportunity this morning to open the word with you. Pastor Chuck Cervenka is the senior pastor here at Calvary, and he's typically up here on Sunday mornings. He'll be out of town the next couple weeks as he's on a retreat with several of the men from here at Calvary, so continue to keep them in your prayers, if you remember. If you're not a first-time visitor and you've been following the series, Chuck has been walking us through the book of James, and he's been following us in light of this journey to completion that we see, as he's been talking about each week, and all the steps to maturity, to spiritual maturity, that James lays out for us in the book. So we'll continue that this morning as we look at James 2, 1 through 13. Our big idea this morning is that the journey to completion includes embracing God's mercy. So we're going to begin this morning by looking at God's mercy. I really enjoy looking at the character of God and the outcome that comes in my heart as I, as I really reflect and take notice of who God is. And so I want to start this morning by looking at God and his mercy. I think we all have heard or known what mercy is in our lives, whether somebody has been merciful to you. And I believe that most of us in the room are willing to admit that God is a God of mercy. 
But the question is, what does the word mercy mean? We're all aware of it, but the thing is, mercy is a difficult word to come up with a description or a definition of. Even as we look in the Bible, mercy is written all over it, but what is the true definition of mercy? So for me, I've often looked at mercy, as I look at God who is a God of mercy, I understand that there is punishment for my sin that I deserve, and God does not offer the complete wrath of that my punishment deserves. So God is a God of mercy because he's not giving me what I fully deserve. And that's the way that I've often looked at mercy. But may I suggest that God's mercy is so much deeper than that. There are so many different layers to God's mercy. And I would challenge you this morning to maybe look at mercy in in a different way than maybe you have in the past if you've looked at it the same way that I have. So we're going to start in Micah 6.8 this morning as we just focus for a few minutes on God's mercy. I will be mentioning a lot of scripture this morning. If you want to revisit these scriptures, have your pen and pencil ready to jot those down as we fly through it this morning, but there'll be a lot of scripture. Micah 6, 8 says, And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. And so here we see the word mercy that we're going to be talking about this morning, but again, this verse does not give us a good, clear description or definition of the word mercy. It just simply states the word mercy, as God requires us to love mercy. But if we look at the original Hebrew word from Micah 6 or 8, that original Hebrew word is hesed. I am probably butchering the pronunciation of that, so show me a little mercy in that if you would. The word is spelled H-E-S-E-D, for those of you who are scholars and want to look that up later. But the meaning of the word hesed in the original Hebrew from Micah 6.8 is the loving kindness of God. And so the question is, can we look at God's mercy this morning in light of that word, the loving kindness of God? Even the word loving kindness, as I think of that, it's not just normal kindness as I can show to a stranger if I hold the door open for somebody and being kind to them. But there's a different motive behind the kindness that God shows us as written in this, the loving kindness of God. See, there's a loving motive behind all of the kind things that God offers to us. And so the word loving kindness in itself is even unique as we continue to unpack that. I challenge you to reflect on that. I came across another meaning of the word mercy as I was reading a commentary, and this one said, mercy is God's overall goodness to those who are in misery or distress. So we've got God's loving kindness, and now we have God's overall goodness. You see, mercy has a lot more to do than just not offering somebody the punishment or judgment that they deserve. But mercy is God's overall goodness and God's loving kindness, especially to those in distress. So like I said, I'd like to look at a few quick verses here before we even dive into James that are going to lighten up God's mercy even a little bit more for us. If we look at Psalm 33, 5, I'm going to read to you the King James Version. It's the version I grew up memorizing in Awana. It's just familiar to me. But the King James Version says, again from Psalm 33, 5, the earth is full of the goodness of God. And so as we look at mercy, and mercy being God's overall goodness to those in misery or distress, King David reminds us that the earth is full of the goodness of God. It's all around us. Another verse is Psalm 23, 6. I'm going to read that from the NIV. Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Again, this is David writing. 
and he is sure that God's goodness is going to follow him all the days of my life. I think it's interesting, in the, in the seats in front of you, we carry the ESV version here. And if you look at the ESV version of that same verse, Psalm 23, 6, the ESV reads this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So even the ESV is putting this goodness and mercy together. And again, David is confident that he's going to see the goodness of God all the days of his life. He's going to see the loving kindness of God all the days of his life. And the earth is full of these things. One more verse from David in Psalm 27, 13. We see that David was confident that he would see the goodness of the Lord. And so as we think of mercy, I'm grateful that Bethany had us shout out those names of God or the attributes of God this morning. And it is because of God's mercy that we are able to recognize all of these things. You see, God's mercy is woven into all of these things. All of the goodness of God that we know, all of the loving kindness of God, we realize as a result of his mercy, as his goodness to us. One more example of mercy before we jump into the passage this morning is from Genesis 50, chapter, or chapter 20, verse 50. Genesis 50, 20. And at this point, we're kind of toward the end of the account of Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis 50, 20. See, Joseph grew up with many brothers, and his brothers were jealous of him. So Joseph's brothers sell Joseph into slavery. Joseph gets sold into slavery. He moves to Egypt. When he gets to Egypt, he becomes a, becomes a slave to a wealthy man in Egypt. Then Joseph gets thrown into jail as a result of something he did not even do. He gets out of jail, but then he becomes a slave to another man. And so Joseph is spending years of his life in a foreign land as a slave, all because his brothers sold him into slavery because they were jealous of him. See, Joseph knew what it was like to be going through misery and distress. But we see years later, because of God's mercy, God allows Joseph's brothers to come in front of him. And the words that Joseph says to his brothers, he says, what you meant to do to me for harm, God meant for good. You see, Joseph recognized God's mercy to him through his times of misery and distress. Despite all of those things and all of those years that he lived, he recognized that God was merciful to him because God meant all of those things for his goodness and his loving kindness, not only to Joseph, but to people that Joseph would eventually... um, have an impact on. You see, it is because of God's mercy that we are called to repentance. We repent because of God's mercy, not because of how sorry we are. It is because of God's mercy that we have knowledge about him, not because of how smart we are. It is because of God's mercy, finally, that we can have a relationship with God. It is not because of how holy we are or how popular we are, but because of God's mercy. And so there are so many layers to God's mercy, I hope, as you're beginning to see, even as we finish this morning, as you go on throughout your day and throughout your week, I would challenge you to peel back those layers of God's mercy and look at his loving kindness to you and look at his goodness to you. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 would be another passage. I'm not going to go into it this morning, but 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 would be a great passage to remind yourself of how you have been a recipient of God's mercy if you are a believer. So all of that reflection on God's mercy so we can dive into the passage this morning and see what James has to say. 
Even before I begin, there's a couple of things. If you've been following Chuck through his sermon series talking about James, he's been giving us a little bit of an um, enlightenment or preview about what the book of James is and some background if you've been listening. Two things that I would like to bring up that I really appreciate about the book of James that help me apply it is the first thing is, unlike many other books in the Bible that were written to a specific church in a specific area, the book of James was written to several different groups of believers who were spread out through several different areas. And so for me, it's easy to see if that book applies to so many different churches that are spread out, it's easy to see how it applies to my life as well. Not that the entire Bible doesn't apply to us, it does. Don't get me wrong on what I'm saying there. But just for me personally, it's easier to see how something written to several groups applies to me as well. The second thing I really like about James is, and you've heard Pastor Chuck say about, in James there are over 50 imperatives, as Pastor Chuck has told them. They're absolute statements with a proverbial meaning. I use the the term black and white. These are short, absolute, black and white statements that James says. There's no room for interpretation in some of these short statements. There's no room for argument. It's clearly, if you believe this, you will do this. If you don't believe this, you won't do this. And so for me, my wife tells me that to a fault, I can be a very black and white person, and yes, that can be a bad thing. But in the application of James, I really appreciate it because there's some black and white stuff here that's really easy for me to say, yeah, I can get on board with that. Also, I'm a big application guy, and some of these short, absolute statements are just full of application. So I appreciate that. We'll be looking at a couple of those this morning as well. So all of that to allow us to jump into the passage this morning that Colton read for us. Our big idea, again, is the journey to completion embraces God's mercy. And our first point is mercy resists partiality. So we're going to see that in the first four verses of James chapter 2. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man with shabby clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So when we go back to verse 1, a couple of things right from verse 1. James is addressing a certain group of people. They're believers in Jesus Christ. And I know that we have that group of people here in the room. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what it is to receive God's mercy, to receive his goodness to you in times of mercy and distress. Don't move away too quickly from that, but reflect on that. I believe we also have a second group of people here that perhaps are not believers in Jesus Christ. And may I suggest to you that if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, when you go through times of misery and distress, Don't you want to be a recipient of God's overall goodness to you? Don't you want to be a recipient of God's loving kindness to you? And so if you're in the room this morning and you're not sure what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus Christ, if you haven't made that decision and you have any questions about that, I'll be available after the sermon. There are other elders around and other people who would love to talk to you about what that looks like. And I would encourage you not to leave this morning before getting more answers if that's a question that you have. James addresses them and says, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, again, as we look at the character of God this morning, I would encourage us, don't gloss too quickly over the word glorious because it's another character of the God whom we serve. He is glorious. As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, 
Don't show favoritism. So this is one of those absolute statements that I enjoy from the book of James. He simply says, don't show favoritism. It's wrong. Not much argument there, not much interpretation. As he moves on into verse 2 through 3, he's giving us an example of how the believers showed favoritism. So they're in a room, and a man comes in who appears to be a rich man wearing nice clothes, and another man comes in who appears to be a poor person wearing poor shabby clothes. And what they do is they judge between the two based on outward appearance alone. They look at the two and they give one a seat of honor and the other one, they shame him. They show discrimination. And so that's the point James is making is when we judge by outward appearance and we show favoritism to one person, we're actually discriminating against the other person. And so it's important not to remember, not to forget how we discriminate others by judging based on outward appearance alone. And James reminds us that this is evil in our thoughts and we're judging other people. We can take it a step further as we move on to verse 9. He reminds us that if we show favoritism, we sin and we're convicted by the law. So another absolute statement from James, showing favoritism is sin. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Chuck was talking about sin and he used the term self-serving sin. And that term kind of struck me as I thought about it and realized, well, all sin is self-serving sin. But in this case especially, I wonder if this is self-serving sin when believers are judging one person between another person and they're showing honor to the guy they think is rich, is it because they think they can get something from that guy? Do they believe that this guy has something to offer us, whether it's his riches or whether or not he's, he's a popular guy and I can get fame or fortune or popularity from him? That's a self-serving sin when they judge by the outward appearance and honor one man in effort to gain something for themselves. And so we should be asking ourselves this morning, are we showing favoritism? Are we judging others on an outward appearance? And what is the motive behind that? Are we really seeking something for ourselves as we do that? As he goes into verse 6, he says, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? And so James is asking a question here. He's, he's reminding the believers, it's the rich people who are actually exploiting these people but they are the ones that they're, getting, they're showing honor to. They're showing honor to a man who's actually exploiting them. And as I read that, it seemed kind of silly to me. I was like, yeah, why would you show honor to somebody who's exploiting you? Not only exploiting, but oppressing them. It was the rich that were oppressing them. And this led to, kind of as Chuck and I had a conversation, what are the things that are exploiting or oppressing us? And may I suggest that the things that are exploiting and oppressing us are things that are feeding us a worldview that is not a biblical worldview. Anything that teaches us something that doesn't go in line with what God is teaching us is oppressing you and exploiting you. And are we showing honor to things that do that? So my question is, what are the TV shows that we're watching? What are the movies that we're watching? When we're on social media, who are we having conversations with and what kind of conversations are we having? What streaming devices are we using that are pushing an agenda onto us that goes against a biblical worldview that we need to be focusing on? Because let's not kid ourselves. When we have couches that are surrounding a TV in the center of our room, we're giving that TV a place of honor in our home. Or when we're on our phones and our phones are right in front of us because we're doing whatever it may be on websites or social media or whatever it is, we're giving that phone a place of honor in our lives as our focus is attention right here on that phone. 
And so let's not fool ourselves in believing that we don't give things a place of honor in our lives that feed us a, a worldview that's not biblical. Mercy resists partiality. It resists judging because it's evil. It resists it because it's sin. And it resists it because it's giving honor to things that could be oppressing us. Our second point this morning is mercy sees people as God sees them. So we're finding this from verses 5 through 9. If I jump to verse 5, may I suggest that showing favoritism fails to honor those whom God honors. Showing favoritism fails to honor those whom God honors. I see that in verse 5 when it says, God chose those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom. See, God chose those who are poor in the eyes of the world. What that shows me is God does not see things the way that God sees them. But God does not see things the way the world sees them. God sees those who the world sees as poor. Those are the ones that God sees as worthy to inherit the kingdom. Also, this verse reminds me that God is the one who chooses. When we choose, we threaten to take the place of God as judge, as sovereign, as holy. Let's not judge other people, and let's not choose to take the place of God, but rather let's choose to see people the way that God sees them, which is different than the way the world sees them. That leads us to... In verse 8, where James says, love your neighbor as yourself. See, God sees your neighbors the same way that he sees you. God sees your neighbors differently than the world sees your neighbors. Do you see your neighbors the same way that you see yourself? Love your neighbor as yourself is repeated, I counted eight times or maybe nine, in the Bible verbatim. Love your neighbor as yourself. Doesn't change the words, same words. I think if God chooses to repeat himself eight times, that might be something we need to be paying attention to. I repeat myself once in my household, and the girls are like, yeah, Dad, we know, we got it, we got it. Eight times the Lord chooses to repeat himself on love your neighbor as yourself. As I was studying for this, I found another passage, Luke 10, 25 through 37. I'm going to give you a quick overview for it. You can write it down if you don't have wish to go there now. But what happens in Luke 10, verse 25 through 37, is Jesus has an encounter with a man who is an expert at the law. So we could call him a lawyer. Jesus has an encounter with a man who is an expert with the law. And the, and the man asks Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus asks him, well, how do you see the law? So this guy is an expert at the law, right? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus confirms this summary of the law by saying, yep, that's, that's what it is. You see the law correctly. Love God, love people. Love God, love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. Right after Jesus confirms that summary of the law, he goes into a story about the Good Samaritan. Another story that most of us, I'm sure, are familiar with. The Good Samaritan is walking down the road. He sees a man in need. Two men have already passed this man and decided not to help him. The good Samaritan sees the guy's needs, takes care of the guy's needs, and then leaves him. And Jesus asks this expert at the law, who was a neighbor to the, to the guy in need? And this is how he answers. He says, the man who showed him mercy. So you see the parallels in the Luke passage with James passage, they're right on, on course with each other. 
love your neighbor as yourself. And then he ends it with, show mercy. So no, I know I've said the word mercy a lot this morning, and we haven't quite gotten to it in James yet, but we're getting there. James ends his passage right here the same way that the passage in Luke ends with showing mercy. And that's how mercy ties into loving your neighbor as yourself. We need to start seeing our neighbors the way God sees them. We need to start seeing them the way that we wish God would see us, the way that we know God sees us. Another example of seeing somebody the way God sees them comes from 1 Samuel 16.7. 1 Samuel 16.7 says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so my question is, if you go back to the example in verses 2 and 3 where you have a rich man walking in and a poor man walking in, they were judged by outward appearances. But First Samuel reminds us that God judges by the heart. What if that group of believers had judged those two by their heart and not by what they were wearing? It's probable that they don't give one man a seat of honor and then they discriminate against the other man because they're looking at the heart, not at what they're wearing. See, God looks at our hearts. God looks at the hearts of your neighbors. God looks at your heart. And we need to be grateful for that. But I also, may I suggest that in looking at man's heart, I believe that's going to move us away from showing judgment. I don't believe that if we choose to look at people in their heart and their need for God's loving kindness and God's overall mercy in times of misery and distress that we're going to judge that person. But we're going to recognize someone who needs God's mercy. So let's start looking at man's heart and let's treat them accordingly because everybody is in desire and everybody is in need of God's mercy. That brings us to our final point, which says that mercy triumphs over judgment. We see that in verses 10 through 13. In verse 10, James reminds us that there's a group of laws. And if you don't obey or don't follow even one of those laws, you've broken the whole law. And so he's reminding that, us that, to remind us that showing judgment and showing partiality as it is a sin, it is a part of God's law. So if you don't murder, check mark, you're good. If you don't commit adultery, check mark, you're good, but if you've judged somebody by the outward appearance, then you've broken the law. And so it's a reminder that we need to be staying away from partiality. If we move on to verse 12, he says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. So what is this law that gives freedom? The law that gives freedom is the law of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and has freed us from the punishment of sin and from the guilt of sin. Jesus has freed us from those things, and that is the law that gives freedom. That law also gives freedom in another way, is when we choose to obey the law, we don't have to live under the judgment of disobedience. We don't have to live under the guilt of our sin because we've chosen to obey the law. The law gives freedom. God's law gives freedom when we obey it. And right here we see that God's law is telling us not to show favoritism, not to show partiality, but to love our neighbor as ourselves and to look at their heart. Because Jesus' law gives us freedom. May I also suggest that in obeying Jesus' law, it allows you to live in freedom, but it also allows the person that you're treating to live in freedom. As I'm sure we've all been there, we've all received judgment from somebody else, Right? On the flip side, I'm sure we can remember times where we've received mercy from somebody else. 
And if I'm on the receiving side of that and I'm dealing with somebody, it allows me to live in freedom when I'm receiving mercy from that person as opposed to judgment. And so not only does Jesus' law give freedom to us when we choose to treat others with mercy, but it gives freedom to the person that we're treating as well. See, Jesus' law gives freedom. If we follow James to the last statement, and this is another absolute statement that he makes, mercy triumphs over judgment. When I thought of mercy triumphs over judgment, I thought of John 16, 33. Jesus is speaking and he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's what I thought of when I read mercy triumphs over judgment because Jesus triumphs, Jesus overcomes. When Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave, Jesus overcame death and Jesus overcame sin. He was victorious over those things. Jesus overcomes and Jesus is victorious. And here mercy triumphs over judgment. And yes, Jesus does overcome. And yes, Jesus is victorious. But may I suggest that James is talking about something even a little different from there. I think James is reminding us that when we show, when we show mercy, it triumphs over the judgment that we could show instead. When we show other people mercy, we have an opportunity to live in Jesus's, through his power, in Jesus's triumphant, overcoming victory as we show people mercy as opposed to judgment. We have an opportunity to live in that victory. We have an opportunity to allow other people to embrace that victory and live in freedom as mercy triumphs over judgment and we show them the mercy, the loving kindness, and the goodness that God has shown us. Brings us to our so what. Who are the people in your life that need to be shown mercy rather than judgment. Last week, Pastor Chuck touched on it a little bit in chapter 1 of James. At the end of chapter 1, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress. See, when I was talking about the self-serving sin, treating other people for what they can give us back, caring after our widows and orphans, Jesus brings up because... Oftentimes, they don't have anything to give us back. So those are the people in their misery and distress that we can treat with God's loving kindness and God's goodness. Several times I've been leaving Walmart in Delavan, and you get to that stoplight, and there's been a gentleman there with a, with a sign that says he's homeless. I used to live in Atlanta, and, and those people were sort of infamous because there were so many busy intersections that people would tell us, those people, that's what they do for a living. They go and they sit on these corners with a sign. But that's judgment. That's judging somebody. Do you pull up to that intersection and do you judge that guy based on his outward appearance? Do you judge him maybe not even based on his outward appearance, but thinking, well, he probably made more money than I did today. It doesn't matter. That's judgment. See, God has shown you his loving kindness. It's all around us. The earth is full of God's goodness and God's loving kindness. And there are people in the earth filled. The earth is filled with people who need to receive God's mercy, his loving kindness and his goodness. I think as we reflect on God's character of mercy, the prayer is that that moves us into appreciation and worship for the Lord. And out of appreciation for them, then him, we can start treating others with that mercy. Offer that victory and accept that victory in our life as the law that gives freedom through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word this morning again.
Lord, the earth is indeed full of your goodness. I pray that we would not move past that, but we would be looking for examples of how the earth is filled with your goodness and offer you praise throughout the week as we're mindful of these things. Thank you for your son and your victory and the law that gives freedom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you would stand and receive God's good word to you this morning through the benediction, my prayer is that the benediction would be not only a blessing but also a challenge to us as we move into the week. It comes from Romans 12.1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship as we look at other people's hearts and not the outward appearance. Thanks, you're dismissed.